But two weeks ago, when we canceled service because of snow, uh, we, we ended up calling that Saturday afternoon uh, that we were going to cancel on Sunday. So my wife and I decided to drive over to where her parents live. They live in Polk County, which most of the people I have met don't know where Polk County is. And so I usually have to say just like towards Asheville. And that's pretty close. Um, but they had, we had a little bit of snow in this area. They had a lot of snow in that area. Um, it was like almost a foot. It had to be right at a foot. I'm looking for my wife for like a nodding head that it was right at a foot. Okay, yeah, it was right at a foot. And so just crazy snow day in about a foot of snow. I don't know if I've ever seen a foot of snow at one time except at like skiing. But it was awesome. And the only thing that wasn't awesome is after you'd sled down a hill, we went to her in-law, uh, my in-law's house, her, her family's house. They have this huge hill you go down. I was telling the guys about it outside earlier, but it is just an amazing sledding hill. But the problem after you sled down a hill, what's the problem? You got to get back up the hill, right? So you got to climb this really big hill. And so I've got a five-year-old and a four-year-old who enjoyed the sledding part to some degree, hated the walking part. So I'm like begging them to go sledding with me. And all they can think about is the walk back. So I think they sled, they sled down the hill just a few times. But in, in the process of trying to help them think, walking up the hill is not that hard. There were two rules. Don't walk back up on our sledding path. Don't mess it up. And then two, walk back up in the footprints. Like walk where we've been. So when you're, uh, here's a picture. I, I'm just a shameless plug of my, my cute boys. I, I always love showing pictures when I can. We built a pretty good snowman. Uh, we used a pickle for the nose. First time I've ever seen that done. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Oreos for the eyes. It was whatever's in the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> but when you're walking in the snow, it's more difficult to, to start your own path. You're, you're moving all the fresh snow out of the way. It's getting on your feet. When you can walk in the path that's already been made for you, it's a much easier walk. It's a much easier path. When we live by the spirit, we walk in his paths. We walk where he's assigned for us. When we walk in the spirit, it's almost like him saying, look, I've already stepped in the right places. Pick your foot up and put them down where I've already walked. Come right behind me. Stay in, stay in this path. The hard part about that is we enjoy making new paths. My boys, as much as I told them, just follow my steps. I mean, how many times that they were like sliding back down the hill where they were trying to make their own little pass. It was like, just go right. It's right here. But it's a narrow path. There's only one set of Footprints going up that hill. There's a big hill, though. Today, as we get into Galatians 5, and we're in, towards the end of Galatians 5 today, we're going to see that living by the Spirit means we'll keep in step with the Spirit. Living by the Spirit. So living for Christ, have, being a Christian, living the Christian life means we're going to be in step with the Spirit. That we're going to want what He wants, we're going to go where He goes. In step in his footprints, we're satisfied and happy to submit to his leadership and command. We're satisfied and happy to explore only the places he set before us to explore. There are other ways to walk, but none, that honor, none other that honor Christ. And Jesus taught us this. I mean, you may have already, if, if you've been a Christian for a while, if you're familiar with the Bible, you may have already thought about this passage from Matthew 7, verse 13. And 14, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to what? Destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. 
and those who find it are few. Maybe that's not a verse you, you like to read. <laughs> Maybe that's not a verse you hear much. But it's a verse we need. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. We shouldn't forget that our salvation is a miracle. It's easy for us to walk around assuming that we've deserved our salvation. Or that it wasn't a big deal. We just prayed a prayer. It's good to hear that salvation is free to you at great cost to Christ. It's good to hear that. But you might start believing that it's inconsequential. That it doesn't take your effort. That it doesn't deserve that greatness, that it is a miracle. It's truly miraculous that we were dead in our sin. Those aren't just things we say. That's not just a platitude. There's weight and depth underneath that. We were dead in our sin, Christian. And Christ gave us new life. That's miraculous. We can't be saved without a supernatural work of God. And we can't live the Christian life without a supernatural work from God. In Galatians 5, Paul is instructing us about the supernatural life in Christ. So today we're settling in on verses 22 through 25. Now, if you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you to find it online or on podcast. It's, it's really anywhere you can Google Provision Church. You can find our sermons I guess not Google. Anywhere you can search it, because you wouldn't Google it on Apple. Anyway, you can find it. Search Provision Church. I'd encourage you to go find last week's sermon. Ryan handled the text so well, really took us through the verses right before 22 and showed us how Paul's, Paul's not just talking about this here. He talks about it in Romans too. I mean, it really fleshes out what it means to live in the flesh and how we resist that. Today is really part two of that sermon. It'll stand alone. So if you missed last week, it's, it's okay. But today is really part two of that sermon. In, in verses 16 through 21, God's word warns us not to use our freedom in Christ to satisfy sinful desires. Today, he's encouraging us. Use your freedom in Christ to, to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. The whole letter of the Galatians to the Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. Almost as if he was a frustrated father. He's upset that they're rejecting the true gospel of faith in Christ alone. And they're rejecting that gospel of Christ alone, by faith alone, in exchange for a false gospel of works. He's saying, you've had this beautiful, simple, true message of the gospel, and you're trying to make it so much more complex and difficult. It's not worth it. It doesn't work. This doesn't work. There's only one way. The path is narrow, and it's only by Christ alone. You can't earn your relationship with Christ. Chapter 5 is written in expectation that they continue then to embrace the true gospel that Paul presented to them. He's expecting that these Galatians will reject the false teachers and embrace his teaching. He believes that they'll live in the freedom of God's grace. So he warns, don't abuse it. And then he says, look for the fruit of that salvation. Before we read from Galatians 5, 
I'd like to invite you again to pray with me. Would you do that? Father, we come to your word this morning and we ask that it would be as it is, sharper than any double-edged sword, that it would pierce us. That we wouldn't be able to walk away from the text today unchanged or unmoved. And not because of my eloquence, God, or anything I have to say, but because of the work of your Spirit. God, we have your word open before us. Let it move in us. Let it work in us. Change us. God, let us not just be hearers, but doers of the word. And let that doing begin here now. Father, we love you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 5.22. This is what God's word says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If the work of the flesh is obvious by its fruit of sin and death, which is the fruit of the flesh, the work of the Spirit is also obvious by its fruit. And it might be easy to read through verses 22 and 23 and think these are just the traits that the Bible extols. I mean, this is what good people do. Like, it's just, this is the, the means of a good life. Jesus is a good teacher. This book is a good teaching book. So yeah, we want to teach our kids these virtues, right? That's, you, it might be easy to read it and just think of it that way. But if you do, you're missing, <laughs> you're missing the point. Paul is teaching the church that these traits are supernatural, Maybe that's a word that's lost some meaning for us, but like outside of our nature, above us, greater than us, these things could not be on our own, in our nature. They aren't of the natural flesh, but of the supernatural spirit. Walking in the spirit then gives us supernatural freedom. If you're taking notes with us on your note-taking guide, supernatural freedom. So we're going to see in verses 22 through 24. Paul is showing us here that we've been set free from the dual prisons of the law and the flesh. We're good at making prisons for ourselves, by the way. And I would say that's connected with the fact that we're good at making idols for ourselves. When we make idols, they imprison us. But here, we, we easily make the law and the flesh prisons. Paul is saying, look, the spirit working in you bears fruit. And that fruit sets you free from the law. From rule-keeping legalism. I mean, in the 21st century, and maybe in our context, in our area, most people aren't trying to keep exact Old Testament law. right? You don't have most people going around keeping all the Levitical laws. So what is the, what is the law? Well, the law isn't just Levitical law. Yes, it is. But it's also just this legalistic set of rules that we think will earn us favor before God in judgment. That's, that's really the law here that we're understanding it, is legalism, that the law saves us, that our work saves us. Well, God set us free from that mindset when he came for us. It's the gospel. 
your work doesn't save you because nothing can save you except from, aside from a perfect sacrificial lamb. That, that, is, that is what the law leads to, is that something has to take your place. You can't, you can't do it. You're not good enough. You're, you're, you have blemishes on your record. You have sin on your record. So you can't save yourself. There's nothing you can do that's good enough. And the beauty is that Jesus knew that, and in his perfection, he came for you. So you didn't have to be good enough. He was good enough for you. He lived a life you couldn't live. Born to a virgin, born without sin. And he lived his whole life without ever dishonoring or disobeying his father. And in doing that, he was able to take the cross, fulfill every prophecy from the Old Testament, take the cross, and bear the weight of your sin on his shoulders. He died this physical death. He died for you to take the weight of your sins. And that's good news, but it wouldn't be great news if he stayed dead. It would just be sad. The great news is that he didn't stay dead. He rose again. What he defeated was not just your sin. Yes, he defeated your sin. He defeated the consequence of your sin. He defeated death. So now we live in him because we trust that he will live forever. When we trust that Christ is our propitiation, that he satisfied our debt, that he took our place before the Father, then no longer do we have to work for our salvation. Our salvation has been earned for us in Christ and we receive it in faith. If you're not a Christian today, man, receive it in faith. Stop trying to earn your place before God. Stop trying to earn your place in the universe. There is one God who will sit judge over all men. And he he has offered you a way of forgiveness in Christ. Take it. Jesus made us free from the law. Now, in faith, the Spirit accomplishes us In us, what the law could not do. The Spirit does in us what the law could not do. The law sat on top of us like a crushing weight, but the Spirit lives inside of us, filling us. Jesus calls us the temple, right? So he he sits inside of us, filling us, working in us, creating fruit from inside of us. When the Spirit dwells in you, he produces fruit from you. And the Spirit provides the supernatural ability for you to grow in Christ-likeness. And the list here that he gives us is evidence to us of a life ruled by God. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of a life ruled by God. And look at that list. We could, honestly, and I thought about this, we could spend a Sunday on each one of these. We're going to take it a little faster. But look at this list. And I don't mind if you're like, I don't want to hear this list again. Well, I'm sorry, we're going to read it a few times today. It's just good for us to hear. This is a great verse. If you haven't memorized much scripture or you're not memorizing one now and you don't have this committed to memory, this is a great one to memorize. Store that word in your heart. Treasure this word of God. This is a great one to put in there. The list of the fruit of the Spirit here that we have. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. As you think through what those words mean, who, who that makes us, if we, are, if we are showing those things, if we're developing in those traits, isn't this what we want? I mean, I think even those far from Christ would agree that this, this seems like a person I would want to be. Some of the beauty of God's word is that we realize that God has a good design for his creation. We're not accidents. We're not thrown into the universe on accident trying to find a way. We have a creator who designed us with a purpose, who, who walked the path ahead of us, who made the narrow way so that we could walk in it. There's a design. There's a purpose. And this is a good design. But ultimately, this list isn't about a good life. That's where you might miss it if you're like, ah, oh, it's a good design. It's not just about us. This list gives us insight into who God is. This list teaches us about the nature of God. The fruit of the Spirit teaches us about the Spirit. Right? It's the fruit from the tree that teaches us about the tree. Have you ever had someone tell you that you're, you're, you're so much like one of your parents? I've heard that from, uh, from people about both of my parents to me. You're so much like your mom. You're so much like your dad. It's like habits or things you do. You maybe have. Maybe it wasn't a parent. Maybe it was a sibling or maybe it was a friend. But if someone says that, it's usually an acknowledgement that their habits or characteristics have rubbed off on you. Right? It's like you've seen, you've seen them do things so much that you're doing what they do. The fruit of the Spirit is like that. When you grow in joy, you are growing in Christ-likeness. When you grow in gentleness, you grow in Christ-likeness. The freedom of the Spirit is that as you pursue Christ, you will grow in Christ-likeness. It's this love pursuit. It's no effort of mine to love my wife. I enjoy loving my wife. I enjoy loving Christ. And so as I love Christ, as I pursue Christ, I grow in Christ-likeness. There's freedom in that. It's not a chore. It's not a duty. We get to. Yet, yet, it takes discipline and effort and determination. It's no trouble for me to love my wife and take her on dates, but it takes effort, right, men? (laughs) It takes effort to date our wives, to, to plan romantic outings and activities. It takes some effort and some discipline to make those things happen. But we enjoy it. We, we do it out of love. It's not a chore. We get to. And yeah, it takes effort. The way is hard. It takes effort. There's, there's work involved in pursuing Christ, but it's not a chore. We love to. We love to pursue Christ. It's free, freeing for us to pursue our treasure, to pursue our reward. It's like when you hold a treat in front of a dog and you hold him back from it. So when you let him go, it's freedom for him to pursue that treat and to eat it. For us, when we, when we are filled in the Spirit, it's freedom for us to be let go to pursue what we want, what we desire. Christians, our desire can be Christ. It has to be Christ for us. It's our great desire. It's freedom to be able to pursue him. The law was not freedom for us. 
But in this growing in Christ-likeness, it's not that we're alone. It's not that we're doing this work and have this effort and determination on our own. Our motivation is not from inside ourselves. It's from the Spirit inside of us. When you walk in the Spirit, you will supernaturally be formed into His image. He's shaping us and making us into His likeness. But we are so often like the foolish Galatians, trying to accomplish in legalism what can only be accomplished in the Spirit. That's why we preach freedom in Christ. That's why we spend 20 weeks preaching through Galatians over and over here. Freedom in Christ. Christ is the only way to salvation. It's not by your works. It's not by your effort. We don't preach, be kind so that Jesus will love you. We preach, because Jesus loves you, you can be kind. There's great freedom in Christ. I was talking to a pastor this week, and we were talking about this passage. We were talking about the, the tension between the freedom in Christ and, and legalism. It's so interesting to live in a culture where, in the South, legalism runs rampant, right? We have, to, we have to abide by all the rules that were set before us, not necessarily biblically, but traditionally. And we're, we're wondering, sometimes it's hard to figure out where am I following tradition and where am I following Christ? And so sometimes that legalism can be hard to flesh out. But we also live in a culture that's very permissive, that says, do whatever you want, that Jesus will love you no matter what you do. It's like, how, how, do, we find, how do we live in that tension? How do we live in the way where the Bible says, yes, be free in Christ, and yes, Pursue him with all your heart, and it takes work, and it takes effort, and it takes discipline. We can only do that as we walk with the Spirit, as we spend time in his word and spend time in prayer. The Spirit dwelling in us provides us the fruit as we submit to him. The work of the Spirit in us frees us from the law because the law is inferior to the nature of God growing out of his people. The, the law represents the nature of God. The Spirit in us is God, growing in us, growing out of us his likeness. When we grow in Christ's likeness, we will so love him and what he loves that we will no longer need the law because we're in such agreement with the lawgiver. We wouldn't need laws if everyone agreed to obey the law. Here, that's what the Spirit is doing inside of us. It's convincing us. It's, it's leading us into agreement with the lawgiver. This freedom isn't only from the law. It's also from the flesh. That's what this text says. All the works of the flesh are crucified with Christ. Look at that. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When we say flesh, we're talking about the natural sinful state we're born with. Not like just the skin covering your bones. There's this state of inherent and chosen rebellion against God. But the call of Christ is both a call to come and die, right? crucifying that flesh with its passions and desires. It's also a call to come and live. We must die to the power of sin over us. And in dying to sin, we live in Christ. It's the picture of baptism. That's Romans 6, 3 and 4. Romans 6, 3 and 4 says, 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I mean, you, you can, can't you imagine that picture? I mean, being baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What a beautiful image he's given to us of obedience, of dying to sin and walking in newness of life with Christ. The Christian life cannot be marked by the works of the flesh. It must be marked by the fruit of the Spirit living inside of us, this newness of life. We die to ourselves and to our sinful nature because we have hope of something so much greater. We don't mind at all putting away our sinful past, our sinful desires. We don't mind putting them away and putting them to death because we see the newness of life in Christ. It's not just today. It's not just new life today. It's new life forever. And we, I wish that I could read this verse sometimes and just, okay, they're all dead today. All of my sinful passions and desires are dead today. But that, but that is the work of the Christian life, is that we are killing sin inside of us. It is the work we will do until we die. And God glorifies us in, to be with him. And so we put our hands to that work of killing sin inside of us. But being crucified with Christ and killing that sin is no sacrifice for us. It might feel like sacrifices at times, but that's just the convincing of your mind that the way of the Spirit is better, isn't it? We gladly lay down our old lives and our old desires for this great hope of the unhindered presence of God. That's important. Do you hear that great hope? What is our great hope, Christian? The unhindered presence of God. That's not God's hindrance on us now. It's our hindrance on God, isn't it? That our sin stands in the way so much of being in the presence of God. But it does feel like a great sacrifice for us so often. Why can't I have sex before I'm married? Why can't I lie a little bit on my hours at work this week? Why can't I get drunk to have some fun? And isn't this like the, the typical list of Christian sins? <laughs> like Christian rules, no sex, no alcohol, no bad language maybe in there. The question isn't like, what's on your list? The question is, what is your life? Where do you need to honor Christ better in your life? And these lists, I mean, the thinking through giving things up, these sacrifices that might feel like sacrifices in the moment, it's not because Jesus wants your life to be lame or because he wants you to feel pain intensely. And so the things that might help take away the pain, he wants to take away from you. That's, that's, not, that's not it. It's because he desires so much more for your life than the gods of this world can give you. He knows that his presence is the greatest good you can have in this life. And that all sin, just masquerading as a good thing, will only keep you from enjoying him. I mean, sin entices us because it masquerades as a good thing. If we could see the reality of what sin was, we would see it for its evil, death, and destruction. But it masquerades as something beautiful and helpful and good. 
In reality, the Christian life isn't a life of poverty and joylessness. The life of the sin and flesh is poverty and joylessness. It's a life of true wealth and happiness in Christ when we live in the Spirit. This is where walking where the Spirit leads, walking where He goes, to fullness in Christ. That's what we want to have here. The life of true, and I don't mean like money wealth. I mean wealth as in like we have everything. The life of having everything is fullness in Christ. We are satisfied that we are content. What a word. That we might be content. Is fullness in Christ. He wants to give you himself. And he has. He has, give you, he has given you himself He has in his spirit, his spirit who lives inside of you, Christian. Jesus didn't defeat death and extend his presence to us so that we could live a mundane, powerless life. The power of the spirit is the gift to every believer. And Paul is writing to the church in Galatia to lead them back to this truth that Christian, your life is a life of power, not in yourself. It's weakness in yourself, but it is power in Christ. It is power in the spirit who lives inside of you. But when we search for the things of the world, that power is frustrating. We're rejecting it. It's when we live and seek the things of Christ that that power is meaningful. You're like, what is the power of Christ? Have you shared the gospel recently? (laughs) If you want to see the power of Christ shine through in your life, share the gospel sometime. If you've been sharing the gospel, you can nod your head and say, yes, I know exactly what you're saying. Fight for people in prayer. If you want to see the power of the Spirit in your life, go to battle in prayer. Pray like crazy and tell me that you don't see the power of the Spirit in your life. Just because we're, we're fighting for things that don't matter. We're spending so much of our life on just what's temporary. What would the power of God do in your life anyway? Paul is writing to the church in Galatia to lead them back to that truth. I'm convinced that many of us need to be led back to that truth as well. If living by the Spirit means we'll keep in step with the Spirit, then let's finish up with verses 25 and 26. Where it says that in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Being in step with the Spirit means that we'll have supernatural fellowship. This one gets me pumped. Our time clock is running out, but supernatural fellowship is the Christian life. And this is what God has created us for, is the supernatural fellowship. And fellowship is a good Christian word. You don't really hear it outside of the church, right? I mean, I'm trying to think if I've ever heard someone use fellowship outside of the church. And it's usually connected with food. But God designed us for fellowship. And let's define fellowship this way. This is from the Mark Navy Dictionary. But fellowship, that I, the way I, I like to define it, I think gets the message across, is enjoying presence and agreement with one another. Enjoying presence and agreement with one another. With this definition, we are primarily designed for fellowship with God that we would be in his presence and that we would agree with him. 
that when he says, I am the Lord your God, that we would say, yes, I agree. And when he says, die to yourself, we would say, yes, we agree. And when you would say, go and make disciples, that we would say, yes, we agree. That's fellowship with God. But that doesn't happen absent of his presence, that we want to be with him, that like David, we would want to be in his courts. Better one day in his court with him, better one day in his presence than thousands elsewhere. It's in his presence that we were designed. It's that fellowship that we would enjoy his presence and his agreement. Not that he agrees with us, but that we agree with him. God made us for that fellowship because he so enjoys fellowship with himself. That might sound strange. Can I tell you a funny story? We don't have time for the story, but it's funny. I've got to apologize to Owen for this one later. But my son, I was in his room. We were like getting ready for our bedtime. I think we might have been about to read our Bible story. And so we're sitting down in his room and him and Knox are sitting there. And um, so I sit down and Owen says, Dad, I have something I need to tell you. And you know, anytime that starts, you're like, oh, this is about to be serious. And I was like, okay, what is it, bud? He says, I have a voice in my head. (laughs) I was like, okay, bud. I do too. We all do. And I thought, how long has Owen been worried about the fact that he has a voice, like that, that he talks to himself. That he, he had, but, if, but if someone came to you and said, I have really good fellowship with myself, we'd be like, okay, I'm a little concerned about you. That's a little different. But our God is a God three and one. He is triune. He enjoys fellowship with himself. And it's not worrying to us. It's good to us because he is three in one. We don't have three gods. We have one God and in himself, he is three. And in himself, he perfectly enjoys fellowship with himself. So in his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, he created a special creation to be in his image and to enjoy his fellowship. This is beautiful that we could be with God. So the Galatians tell us, uh, so the Galatians tells us to be in step with the Spirit, to walk with God. I think about walking with God. You think about how when Adam and Eve sinned, it's Genesis 3 8 says they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. He would have been with his people. We see that language in Leviticus too, that he walked or in Deuteronomy, that he's walking around camp with his people. The Lord loves fellowship with his people. We see that in, in the garden, not just in Eden, but we also see it in the garden of Gethsemane. You think about him being with his people, walking in the garden of Gethsemane. And do you remember, when you think about being with God, the presence of God, fellowship with God, do you remember when Jesus was in the garden and his disciples couldn't stay awake. Do you, do you know that story? He let him in there. He said, let's go pray. He was about to be taken away. It was right at the cusp of his death, right before he was crucified and resurrected. He said, let's go to the garden and pray. And do you remember the disciples couldn't stay awake? They kept falling asleep. But do you remember what Jesus asked them to do when they were in the garden? What did he ask them to do? Yeah, he asked them to pray. When Jesus was in the garden with his disciples, he asked them to pray. When we think about fellowship with God, when we think about walking with God, if you want to know the best way to be in step with the Spirit and to walk with God, Scripture points us to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, Colossians 4 says. Devote yourselves to prayer. How can I keep in step with the Spirit? How can I walk with God? 
I want to be, I want to do what the disciples didn't do in the garden. I want to commit myself to prayer. Pray like crazy and enjoy the fellowship of your creator. I mean, set the time aside. You set time aside for every other relationship in your life, don't you? If you maintain a relationship, you set time aside for it. You cannot have a relationship if you don't set time aside for it. It just won't happen. If you were married and never saw your spouse, it wouldn't be much of a marriage. Think about friendships. The friendships that I've, I would say, I'm friends with that person, but I haven't talked to him in 10 years. We're not much of friends. <laughs> we have a history together, but we're not really, we're not much of friends now. Set time aside to be with God and talk to him, pray. Stop letting God have your leftover time. He's not an afterthought. He's your all-consuming passion. Right, Christian? Is that true? I mean, if I looked at your life right now, if I looked at your time and I could see the receipts of your time, what, what story would it tell me about how you feel about Christ? Is he your all-consuming passion or is he just a thing that gets squeezed in when you have some time? It was convicting for me to write through that. And I'm a pastor. I think about how are you devoting your lives? It's, it's one of my great fears that, that maybe people might come to church and think, well, pastors are supposed to be spiritual. Man, my, my prayer for you, church, is that whatever you're laying your hands to, you're laying your hands to that for Christ. That your life wouldn't be about other things and Christ gets squeezed in, but that Christ would be the focus of every moment. That you go to school and you teach crazy kids all day for the glory of God. And that that doesn't separate in your mind. That it's one, one strategic movement for the kingdom. It's all for the glory of God. That you sit in front of your computer and you punch in numbers all day for the glory of God. That you build buildings for the glory of God. And that every moment in between, you're, you're, you're with your family, you're with your friends, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're spending your time for the glory of God. That you picked up that book, that you're watching that show for the glory of God. And if you couldn't say you're doing it for the glory of God, that you wouldn't do it. Not because your pastor told you to, but because you are desperately pursuing the passion of your life. That the true treasure and great reward of your life is so good that you couldn't give it up for anything else. So have him. Be with him. Enjoy his presence. You've died to the temporary pleasures of this world to have him. Don't live a mediocre Christian life where you're giving up sin but not taking Christ. And that comes through prayer and it comes through his word. It's the breathing out and the breathing in of the Christian life. It comes through fellowship with God and it also comes through fellowship with one another. And that's where we'll end today in this text, in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I mean, those words, conceit, envy, provocation, these are all evidence of selfishness and really good ways to isolate yourself. Isn't that true? If you think about the people in your life that you may have spent time envying, you can't be close to that person. You're wanting what they have instead of just wanting them. About conceit. When you feel conceited, you feel better than that person. You don't feel like you want to give yourself to that person. That person deserves to be giving themselves to you. 
When we live in this selfish mindset, we can't be in fellowship with each other. Here, Paul's giving the clear command, don't be this way. Don't be selfish. Don't envy. Don't provoke. Don't be conceited. Instead, give yourself, serve each other like Christ served you. Biblical fellowship happens in submission towards one another. I would love for Provision Church to be marked by submission. These guys really care about each other. These guys really listen to each other. They really, they really surrender their rights a lot so that the other can have what is good. They don't always have to have their way. They give the way to the others. It's one of the reasons that we talk about hospitality so much. I do. I think I do. I don't know. We hope that you're being hospitable, church, that you're opening up your house, that you're opening up your car, that you're opening up your wallet, that you're opening up your family and saying, here, come, come be a part. Let me give of myself so that you can feel a part. I was thinking this week about how much I, I hope that those of you who have been coming to provision for several weeks maybe would s- start feeling less like outsiders and more and more like insiders. I, 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 I really pray that one of the goals for our church would be that we wouldn't have outsider class and insider class where it's like these guys have been around and they're in the circle and they know everything and these guys, they just stick around the outside. We want every person as a part of Provision Church to be completely committed to the, to the work and the goal of what God's doing in the church. And that can't happen unless we're being hospitable with each other, open-handed towards each other. That's how we move people from the outside to the inside when we say, come, come here, be inside with us. We don't want you outside, we want you inside with us. Get out of the cold. Get into the warm. Be here. It has to happen through hospitality that we're fellowshipping with one another in a world that is not hospitable except maybe on social media. And even there, it's iffy. I mean, a lot of times it's the opposite of hospitable. What if the church in America, what if the church in Union County, what if we were the exception? That the people looked around and said, I want to be a part of the church just because of how good they are to each other. And there we show them the light and the goodness of Christ. Why are we good to each other? Because Christ has been good to us. Hospitality is a great tool for us to display the gospel to the world. Here is my home. Have it. Here is my life. Have it. That we would love each other well with what God has given us to steward. Now we wouldn't just do it with people who we like. We wouldn't just show hospitality to people who are like us. That we would show hospitality to people who are different than us. Who we share so little in common with. Maybe it's, maybe it's intergenerational ministry. That we're a church where the old and the young alike, man, they're in each other's lives. Maybe, maybe it happens across racial divides. Where it's like, man, those people don't look like each other, but man, they sure love each other. Maybe it happens with state fans and Tar Heel fans. I wasn't going to go there. I want to ask you two questions. As we think about our supernatural freedom to love Christ with our lives, the fruit of the Spirit, I want to ask you this question. This is specifically directed at you, Christian, but if you're not a Christian, it still applies. Is your goodness a result of laws or enjoying Christ? If you'd have asked me why 
I didn't cuss in high school because my mom and dad said I couldn't. <laughs> That's a pretty good reason in high school, actually, guys. Uh, it's a really great reason. Uh, we can talk about honoring your father and mother. <laughs> but I really want to ask you, do, you, do you have a reason for what you do? Is the reason that you're a moral person because you love Jesus deeply with all you are? Or is it because you know you're just not supposed to do some things? Is your goodness a result of laws or enjoying Christ? I'm asking you that question because I want to challenge you. Answer every question with the love of Christ. There might be a position right now where you're struggling with sin in your life and you've been trying to battle it, and but you've been battling it with the law. I know I'm not supposed to do this. Well, why not? Is it because the law said so or is it because you love Jesus with all of your heart? Even if you love Jesus with all your heart, you're going to struggle with sin. It's not a magic bullet against sin. It is an eternity, but not in this life. We're still working hard in this life. But you need to answer the question well. We enjoy Christ. All right, here's my last question. What is the goal of your life? What is the goal of your life? For the Christian, it's fellowship with God. Just unequivocally. If it's not you, I, 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 change your mind. <laughs> Christian, <laughs> The goal of your life is fellowship with God. If it's not it, make it it. That's the biblical goal of your life. We say it like Paul does in Ephesians here, to be filled with all the fullness of God. That's our hope for the world, is that the world could be filled with all the fullness of God. That's, that's fellowship with God in the most intimate ways. He would fill us with all of his fullness. God hasn't made a concession for your life to be about anything else. I want you to hear that. He hasn't said it's okay for Jim, for Ryan, for Jeremy, for Alicia to make their life about anything else. I could go around the home room. Your life has to be about Christ. Give your life to him today. Today is the day of salvation. Will you receive it in faith? Pray with me. Father, we're grateful for the fellowship you've extended to us. That we can come and read your word and that, that you've opened our eyes to understand. That you've given us understanding. That we that we read your word and, and that something inside of us comes to life as we op- open your word. We love to be with you, God. We love to be in your presence. Thank you for giving your presence to us, that even this morning we know that your presence is here. As we sing, as we continue to sing, that we know your presence is here. It's only here. We, we, are on, we only have access to you because of what Christ has done. It's in Christ alone that we have access to you, that we are able to know and love you, that we are able to have fellowship with others, and that we are able to live a life that honors you because you've given us your spirit. Father, help us to approach you now in this time with humility and with honesty. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.